We've come to this planet looking for intelligent life. Oops, we made a mistake. I see you shiver with anticipation. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. It is Monday as I record this Tuesday as I distribute the maiden voyage, this show Beyond the Fold podcast. And you might be listening on a Wednesday or Thursday, or I don't know what day of the week it is you're listening, but thank you for joining me. Those of you that have heard me before on other platforms talking about sports, Ohio State specifically, welcome back. Those of you hearing me for the very first time, welcome to my show. Of course, this is going to be a little bit different than what I usually discuss, okay? This is not a sports podcast. We're not going to be talking Ohio State football or basketball We've got a little bit bigger situation here, of course. You haven't been living under a rock. We've been dealing with this COVID-19 stuff for, gosh, what's it been now? Uh, Four months, right? It's July, late July. We started dealing with this back in mid to late March. So we've been talking about this for a long time. For those that know me, please just have a little patience here. I'm going to introduce myself to those of you that are hearing me for the first time. I am, of course, a sports podcaster, formerly a sports beat writer. I've done freelance writing, freelance research, data analysis, consulting, a little bit of a mixed bag. I went to school for broadcasting, worked in radio for a few years, and then I got into the writing stuff, which is ironic because I hated writing when I was in school, but it was kind of a, uh, I don't know, it was something that I just got used to doing, and I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool had an opportunity to start it, and it took off and wound up doing a lot of freelance stuff. But I've done research, I've done writing, I've been in radio, and then, of course, now I'm back into podcasting, and I, I really enjoy that. That was kind of my first calling. That and data analysis, I think, is, is my go-to. And this is kind of a perfect analysis, a perfect blend of that, the analysis along with the podcasting. So this is obviously not a sports podcast. Now, I heard it many, many times, right? Stick to sports early on back in March when this thing first started taking off. I was not trying to analyze analyze it, okay? I think it's first and foremost important to get out of the way. I'm not trying to be a doctor. I'm not, okay? I can't tell you, although I, I get the general explanation with how the virus attacks the protein cells and everything, I, I can't. I'm not here to try to be a doctor because I can't analyze that, okay? That's not my field of expertise, and I'm not an epidemiologist. I can't calculate the R-naught, okay? I know what it does. I know what it's supposed to measure, but I'm not an expert when it comes to epidemiology or virology. The thing is, I'm not trying to be an expert. What I'm trying to do here, and this eluded a lot of naysayers back in March, is I'm looking at this from an analytical standpoint, okay? I have an analytical mind. Data analysis is my thing. And despite some people out there saying I'm not qualified to be a data analysis guy, which it's ironic because you're kind of standing on the soapbox. You're trying to be an expert if you're telling somebody that they're not qualified to do something, okay? Which is ironic. And and that's something I'm going to get into here in a minute because that's the biggest hypocritical aspect of this whole coverage that we've seen it's this people are such contradict there's contradictory figures they have had hypocritical stances from this entire this from this entire epidemic okay i am not trying to be an expert i'm just trying to look at this and i did back in march and i just said look 
I'm not trying to say this isn't a serious issue, but there's just not something clicking here. Not everything is right. And it really didn't happen until Italy started kind of putting out some of their death numbers, their, their, the age brackets, the demographics. When we started to see, well, 95% of people that were dying in Italy were not only over 50 but they had underlying health issues. And, and I, yes, I know, like here in America, there are a lot of people with underlying health issues. It's about 40 to 45% have underlying health issues, okay? I looked this up. There are data sources out there if you want to corroborate that, but I've looked it up myself. It's about 40, 45%. It's just under 50. So there are a lot of people, certainly, with medical issues. But when you start to do the, the subset of the population that is over 50, over 65, over 75 and have underlying health issues, that really starts to narrow the gap of people that are high risk for this thing. And it's no coincidence, because I did the data analysis on this. Based on CDC figures, the age brackets in which people are dying from this, I was able to narrow it down to a medium national age of just over 77, 78 years old. That's the median age of people dying from COVID. This year alone, in 2020, in the same time frame, the median age of all other causes is about 76 years old. So actually, the median age of people dying from COVID-19 is a little older than it is from all other causes. And that's not to try to tell you that COVID-19 is not dangerous. It's just it has a general distribution of people dying as every other cause and and for every other walk of life and that's the context that is missing from the mainstream media and some of the people out there telling me hey you're not an expert i'm not trying to be an expert i'm trying to bring context to the conversation there is nuance in everything out there that we do and if experts were infallible and they had absolutely perfect 100 percent accuracy we would not have the concept of peer review. Okay, even the brightest minds that we have working for our universities and researchers, scientists, virologists, epidemiologists, it doesn't matter what field you're in, even if it's a medical field or a research field, every profession, every occupation that publishes some sort of study it is generally accepted that you get peer-reviewed. It's encouraged. And that's because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has theories. They're testing theories against science. And sometimes you get the science wrong. And that's why we have people looking at your work and saying, well, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. And believe me, even peer review has its issues, okay? The National Institute of Health Anthony Fauci specifically. These people have issues as well because peer review is corrupt. There are a lot of companies that are buying research more or less. You can't always trust peer review. It's, it's very much a click system. So there are even issues with peer review, but the concept, the philosophy behind it makes a lot of sense is that we're here to make sure that experts have transparency and accountability. The experts you see on TV, I'm not questioning their intelligence, but you have to keep in mind all these people are ripe, 
are vulnerable for corruption, for bias. These TV scientists, as I call them, they don't speak for science. Some of them, very notably, and I'm not going to mention names, but you can figure out who I'm talking about. Some of them have vested financial interest in a vaccine as we speak. You wonder why there's so many hit pieces on hydroxychloroquine. And I look, HCQ, I, I'm not, I don't get into the vaccine and the treatment stuff very much, okay? It's not the science part of this, the treatment, the medical aspect. I don't discuss that because, again, I'm not an expert. I've admitted that from the very beginning, and I don't go very far down that rabbit hole, partially because I haven't taken time to learn about it. So I, I can't tell you if hydroxychloroquine is, is a valid medical treatment or not. I know a lot of doctors are swearing by it, saying that if you catch patients early enough in their case curve, that it's an effective treatment. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I do know this. With the amount of work being done to try to discredit it, that tells me it's probably working. Because the thing is, it's so cheap to produce. Remember, this is a 50-year-old drug. I, I, it might be 75 years old. I can't remember how long it's been around, but it's, it's an old drug. It's very cheap to produce. It's threatening to remsdivir and other forms of treatment, possible vaccines that could come down the line. That could be really expensive and make a lot of people a lot of money. And that terrifies people that have a vested financial interest. So there is a lot of reason to discredit hydroxychloroquine. And that doesn't mean that it is effective or isn't. I don't know. I, like I said, I've never really taken a stance because I don't know enough about it. I have certainly not worked with it in the field, so I'm not qualified to give a very strong opinion on that. But I just know that there are people out there that have a vested interest, that have a bias. So when, when you hear doctors and epidemiologists and people on television, just because they say something doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're talking about real science, okay? Scientists have biases as well. The thing is, it, uh, it just, it, it's crazy to me how many people right now, for instance, let, let's talk about science. How many people proclaim their expertise on masks all of a sudden? Now, let me just start and say right from the top. I am not necessarily anti-mask, per se. I think masks can have a limited uh, success in helping to delay or possibly prevent some transmission of COVID-19. Problem is, there are two things here. It definitely does not stop it. It's not designed to stop it. The science on masks has never held the position that surgical masks, especially cloth masks as, as well, surgical and cloth masks are not designed to stop viruses. And you may say, well, Kyle, they're worn in hospitals, why do doctors and nurses have surgical masks? Because they are designed to stop from bacteria transmitting to patients, okay? Bacteria, I don't know if you know this, but they're about 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times larger than the particles of a virus. And that includes COVID-19, that includes the flu. Other viruses are so tiny relative to bacteria. 
And that's what these masks are designed. They're designed to stop particles and droplets coming from your mouth. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that masks cannot help with that, okay? If you wear a mask, it can help prevent some of those droplets coming from your mouth when you talk. Problem is, on the other end, it's not designed to stop you from getting it. And if it's true that particles are airborne, that actually is going to make it more difficult for masks to actually stop the transmission. Because I'll tell you what, the other part of it is if you're going to wear a mask for protection, which it does not provide, okay, it never has. That's the science. The science didn't change in the last three to four months. But if you're going to wear it for protection, you need to be absolutely 100% sure that you are practicing proper mask protocol. And I mean washing your hands regularly, not touching your face, not adjusting your mask, making sure that if you're wearing a replaceable mask that you replace it every 20 to 30 minutes or every time you sneeze or every time that it gets wet, okay? These are all critical parts. And if you wear a cloth mask of your own, Make sure you watch it, wash it after every use. And I know 99% of people wearing masks are not doing these things. If, they're, if it's going to be effective, and it's not going to stop every droplet, okay? It's just not. But if it's going to be protect, protection for the mask wearer, then you've got to follow proper protocol for it to have any chance of helping. And most people are simply not doing that. So can masks be somewhat helpful? I think a little bit, but they were never, ever meant to be protection. That's the science behind it. And I know people don't like that, but that's the truth. And the science hasn't changed. Dr. Fauci is an intelligent man, and I disagree with so much of what he's had to say. But he is intelligent. There's no denying that. But Fauci said flat out early March, there is no reason to be walking around with a mask in an epidemic. It doesn't help, okay? It may stop... A few droplets here and there, but it's not going to offer the type of protection that you need. I don't care how much Dr. Fauci attempts to walk that statement back. The science has not changed. He's been around 50 years. The science on masks have been around, has been around for many, many decades, okay? We've studied it from the flu for many, many years. That has not changed. CDC, WHO, Surgeon General Jerome Adams... NEJM, the New England Journal of Medicine, the, the CDC's uh, Emerging Infections, Disease, Infections and Diseases Journal, all of these sources back in March were saying, don't wear masks. They don't help. If you want to believe that all of these sources were lying or somehow the science changed, and we can't even get that story right, okay, that story, depending on whether you listen to Fauci or other, the CDC, some will say the science changed. Some will say we were lying. They can't even get their story straight. But the science didn't change. And so I'm not anti-mask. I'm not saying that they have zero impact. I'm saying that if they worked, we would have heard about it back when the lockdown started. We would have been told to wear masks. We did not see it in the, the, the infamous uh, study that came out of England, right? The Imperial College report. You notice in the mitigation strategy, it did not list wearing masks. So the science did not support this back in March. That's why they were telling us not only does it not help, but don't, don't worry about wearing masks because it doesn't help. So it's funny now when I hear people say, wear your mask like they're an expert. 
And that's the ironic thing, right? Aren't you supposed to only have an opinion about this if you're an expert? And suddenly there are millions of experts across the country telling you to wear your mask like they know. These are people that have never worn a mask in their entire lives until eh, roughly June. And suddenly they're an expert on wearing masks. And they're not basing it on science. They're just saying, well, the health experts are saying it, so do it. It's like, so you've actually looked at the science here. You think you're an expert to tell people to wear masks. Interesting. It really is hypocritical. I'm not telling people not to wear masks. I would never do that because I think there is a place for it. Personally, I wear one when I think it's appropriate. When I think it's appropriate, is, it's up to me. That's my situation. I would never tell people don't wear masks. I'm not offended if you wear one. If you want to wear one, I think you should. I think it can help in some situations. I think they're overrated in, as far as prevention and especially protection. But they can help a little bit. And if it can help a little bit and you want to wear one, go right ahead. Just stop telling people others, tell others to wear one, okay? Because you're not an expert. You, you've made it abundantly clear that experts are the only ones allowed to have opinions. So don't browbeat others. Let them make their decision. I'm basing it on science, like Fauci, Adams, CDC, who all of those organizations and individuals that back in March told me what the science of masks were. I'm taking their words for it, not you. So if you're on Twitter, don't tell me to wear a mask. I will take the experts' opinions on that. Speaking of masks, this is interesting. The New York Post had a story back in May, and this is a story that I saw in part from another publication back when it happened, or at least one of these incidents happened. And I thought I would do my own little social experiment on Twitter, okay? And I enjoyed doing this because I wanted to see people in action. I wanted to see how they would react to this. This was a, a study, not a study, but a report that showed two different Chinese teenage boys in China, of course, being Chinese, had collapsed and died while wearing a mask and running within a week of one another. Okay, this is kind of interesting. These two separate incidents, but they both collapsed wearing a mask while they were running. One of them fell backwards and hit his head, and the other one just collapsed forward, and they both died. And it, the official ruling, the official uh, cause of death were both cardiac arrest. Now, it says in the story, to be transparent and to be fair, that it is not believed that the mask caused the cardiac arrest and was the cause of death. Now, it is also said in the article that it, they can't rule it out without an autopsy, so they don't believe that was the cause, but they can't say it wasn't. Now, I shared this story, despite it being old. Of course, most people had not seen it before, but I shared the story for two reasons. Number one, I just wanted to be a little bit sarcastic because you know what? The funny thing is the panic porn people, they only care about the headlines, okay? They like to pluck out and cherry pick the outliers, they want to show the worst-case scenario, and they want to get people afraid and terrified. Oh, my gosh, look what can happen if you wear a mask. And they wouldn't be saying this. Of course, they would be saying something along the lines of, oh, look what can happen, COVID. You know, this person had glass lungs, okay? Look, look at the, the terrifying long-term effects that COVID-19 can have on a person. It's ironic because I wanted to show the same thing. Look, look, look what you can do if you want to be a panic porn producer, all right? If you want fear-mongering, fear porn, 
look what can happen when you can wear a mask. You're running in these perfectly healthy teenage boys just collapsed and died right there on the track because they were wearing a mask. It's kind of a taste of their own medicine, and that's what I wanted to show. And the experiment part of this, knowing that these people would react the same way if the, if the shoe was on the other foot, I wanted to see the hypocrites come out and play. And sure enough, I, I was not disappointed because there were a few people that said, well, you know, this is just an extreme outlier. We don't even know if this was the mask actually caused this or not. Well, you're exactly right. And that right there, friends, is the reason that we do this, to show the hypocrisy, the inconsistency, the contradictory stances, because they're absolutely right. These are outliers. We don't know if masks caused this or not. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. And that's why I presented the tweet without comment. Because I don't know what happened, but that these outliers always exist in every walk of life, and that's been the whole point with COVID-19. Just like the flu, just like common cold, just like other viruses, coronaviruses that are out there. There are always outliers. Long-term effects happen with the flu. Long-term effects will inevitably happen because of COVID-19. The point is, right now, all we know is that there's probably outliers because we have no data to support any meaningful, common occurrence of these things with COVID-19. And by the same token, if the shoes are on the other foot, yes, it's true. We don't know if the mask actually caused these deaths in China. But that's what happens it's what happens with the media. It's what happens with all these people that are terrified of all the headlines that they read. They buy into it like sheep going to slaughter. And that's what we're trying to do here. Myself and a whole number of researchers out there, Aaron Ginn, Justin Hart, ethical skeptic. There are a number of them, too many to name individually, but there are a lot of researchers and data people that are trying to get the word out. We're trying to add context to what is going on because I tell you, friends, it is crazy the dishonesty in the media. It's crazy the irrationality of most folks out there. And to be fair, you know, some of them are irrationally scared. I know of people that have been locked up in their homes for a couple months, which, by the way, is not healthy for children. Please don't do that to your children. They need vitamin D. They need sunlight. They need to be outdoors. Their immune systems need to be around bacteria in their everyday lives. Don't keep them locked up in their homes. But people are going insane. And folks, as I said, the median age of this is actually higher than that of all other causes in the country right now. I'm not saying that it's not serious. I'm saying that for most people, you are not at high risk. You are at a normal risk. And we take risk every day of our lives. We know we, have a, we are at risk when we go outside. In a rainstorm, if it's lightning, we're taking a risk. If we're getting in our car and starting it up and taking a drive to work or the gym or a playground or basketball game or a movie, we're taking a big risk. If we get on a plane, we're taking a risk. There is nothing that you do in your everyday lives where you are not putting your life at risk. And COVID-19 is not any different in that regard. We are going to see when this is all over, it's like the flu. That doesn't mean it's as exactly like the flu. It doesn't mean it's less lethal than the flu. Maybe it's more lethal. Maybe it's the same. 
but it's like the flu. Maybe it's worse. If you get offended by that, why? Why does that offend you to say it's like the flu? People like to say, oh, you're trivializing death. No, I'm not. Death is a part of life. I, it sucks, okay? You don't like it, but 1.5 million people have died this year, okay? That compared to about 140,000 unofficially that have died of COVID-19, and we know that number is high. It is not really that high. I know that's another thing people get offended about. What, you're trivializing this. You're downplaying it. No, actually, the ironic thing is the people that say so-and-so is downplaying this are the ones that we have to, the reason why we have to downplay it, because they are overplaying it, because they have no context. Before this started, they didn't know how many people died in a normal day in the United States. They didn't know how many people died in a normal year. They didn't know how many people died of the flu, how many people were hospitalized of the flu. They didn't know any of this because they don't know the context behind it. So when you boil it down and you say you're downplaying it, 140,000 people have died, you just don't know what you're talking about. And I'm sorry, but that's true. Excess deaths is about 100, 108,000 right now out of 140,000. We know that every single person that is dying with COVID is being counted as a COVID death, even though we know that is being greatly exaggerated, overcounted. And we will learn this once we account for not only the deaths that were prevented by lockdowns because of accidents and such, but we know the lockdowns created a lot more deaths that are baked into those numbers. When we separate that and we look at all of their causes, we're going to find out we're greatly overcounting the number of deaths right now from COVID-19. But that's going to take a year or two when all that data comes in. But we know it's being overcounted. But people are terrified because the media is dishonest with them and they don't tell them the truth. For instance, when you hear this Florida hospitalization stuff, okay, the occupancy, 40-some counties have 100% occupancy, zero beds available. Well, read the fine print because what you're going to find out is when you start looking at the Florida counties one by one, you're going to see that some of those counties have zero ICU occupancy to begin with. What that means is it doesn't mean that they're booked full. It means they have zero ICU beds available, meaning people in their county, if they need ICU, they're going to another county or another hospital. But again, the media won't tell you that. They'll tell you how many people have zero beds available, and they won't mention that some of those hospitals and counties don't have ICU beds in the first place. We see this all over the place. It, I used to think that the media was just lazy. And in some cases, that might be true. There are so few actual researchers right now, journalists that are doing their jobs correctly, which is funny when I hear media people, and I won't call them by name, but when they say I'm not qualified to do data analysis, well, I've been a beat writer. I've been a freelance researcher, freelance writer. If I'm not qualified to do data research, who is? Because that is exactly the job of a journalist in, in generality. It's to do research. If you're doing a story, how are you doing a story if you're not researching the subject? Whether it's the person's background, whether it's data, whether it's the occupation whether it's a company's background, how it started, whatever the, the subject, the subject of the, the article is about, 
if you're not doing research, you're not doing your job correctly. Data analysis is just research. It's mining. It's interpreting. It's presenting. And that's all it is. And that's what we're here to do. That's what a journalist is here to do. They're supposed to be researchers. And so many of them are terrible at it. And I see journalists say, well, you're not, a, you're not a qualified to do data. What? Well, neither are you then. Because that's your job. That's supposed to be your job. And if, you, if, if another media person, a personality, is not qualified to do data analysis, then, man, who is? Because that is what you're supposed to be doing. People like me, a podcaster, and yes, like I said, I've done research before. I am a freelance researcher. I have done this. This is my background as well. But people like me, a sports podcaster, wouldn't have to get into the game and do data analysis if these journalists would get off their lazy butts and do it themselves. But instead, they're fear-mongering, and I used to think it was just sheer laziness, but now I think some of them are flat-out dishonest. It's amazing the amount of panic porn going on in the media right now, and that is why people are falling for it. The HHS, okay, Department of Health Services... They, of course, very controversially took over the work of the National Healthcare Safety Network last week, the NHSN. This was by order of the president, Donald Trump, ordered the HHS to take over hospitalization reporting. And this was very, very unpopular with the media, it was very unpopular with healthcare officials. But I can tell you this at first blush, this was taken over on the 14th. The first data was released today, as I record this, Monday, the 20th. And I got to say, I, as a researcher, I give it two thumbs up for this effort so far. Let me explain the changes, because this is really important as to how hospitalization data will be reported. The NHSN, once a week, was getting a census from participating hospitals as to the number of beds that were being occupied by any and all causes, okay? It didn't matter what you were there for. They were getting an idea of how many beds were available, how many beds were occupied, how many ICU beds were occupied, how many were available. And, of course, this was also a COVID-19 census, so they were trying to gauge how many people were occupying beds from COVID-19. That was being done once a week, Problem, there were two problems. Number one, the participation. It was a little under 50%, I believe. 50% of all hospitals were reporting on a weekly basis. So the CDC, which ran the NHSN network, the NHSN network as part of that um, acronym, or should I say initialism, since it's not actually an acronym, but who's counting? The CDC would estimate based on extrapolation, okay? They would take the number of hospitals reporting, and they would come up with a 95% co confidence interval and say that the estimation of beds occupied was between this and this, but probably this. But with less than 50%, you know, it was still a, a fairly accurate estimation, but it wasn't the most accurate. So by going to this system, HHS, now they believe that the total reporting number is going to be more in the range of 70, 75, maybe 80% in a given week. I believe it was 60% in this first week. So the participation has gone up, and it will be done on a daily basis. So not only will they have more accurate estimates of what is going on in the hospitals, so researchers and data analysis people like us 
can make better predictions and and show better trends of hospital of hospitalizations and there are problems with that and I will explain that in a minute but it's more timely for instance the 5 p.m. cutoff for today which would mostly probably have I haven't read the specifics on on what's in the cutoff but I'm guessing it it's probably more timely for yesterday rather than it is today but the cutoff was 5 p.m. and by 6 p.m. HHS had the first data up through today so a very timely accurate report where there are more people participating and it's more frequent Monday through Friday by 5 p.m. we have new data so this is terrific but a lot of people were complaining about this and one of the things I like that was lacking in the NHSN census is not as not only does it show occupancy ICU occupancy COVID-19 hospital occupancy but what was lacking in an NHSN it also shows an estimate of COVID-19 ICU occupancy. So we can see in the funnel not only how many people are in hospitals for COVID-19, or should I say with COVID-19, but we can also see how many people are in the ICU. And that's very helpful because we can get a better idea of how many people are serious with complications, and we can kind of get an idea of how many people might be dying in the next week or two because I can tell you right now, the percent of people dying in the ICU from COVID-19 is roughly one-third. And this is down a little bit. Early on, it was 60%. It had gone down to about 50% by the end of April, 40% by the end of May. And now as we sit in June, it's probably a little less than a third, which is good because we figured out how to treat this a little bit better. Not only because of the hydroxychloroquine, because of remdesivir, not only the actual types of treatment, but just knowing little things that they can do, when to intubate. Uh, there are a lot of factors here, but we know that the mortality rate for ICU has gone down. And so this extra bit of information through HHS is really important to researchers and people trying to figure out, and not just researchers, but even people within the White House. We're talking about the uh, coronavirus task force. These people can better assess the situation with timely data. Because that's another thing. The NHSN data was only coming once a week. It would be for the next day after the previous week was over. But this is a lot more quick. It's a lot more accurate. It's a win-win for everybody involved. But hospitalization data is something that was sorely lacking. Because especially now, in the past month or so, we have gotten such spiked hospitalization counts. And some of it has to do with the way we are counting for hospitalization hospitalization because as you probably know i've said this on twitter at kylam8 i've said this so many times when somebody comes in for any procedure whatsoever it doesn't matter the reason that they're there you could be going into the hospital with appendicitis and you get admitted you're going to have surgery they do a test on you because they're doing a test on everybody that's admitted into the hospital for any reason so they do a test and they find out oh by the way you know i know you're here for appendicitis but you also got COVID-19. You tested positive. Well, guess what? As far as the numbers are concerned, as far as the state health department is, is concerned, as far as HHS now and the NHSN reporting, you become a COVID-19 hospitalization. And that is happening everywhere. In every state, every walk of life, every person that goes to the hospital for any reason whatsoever, if they test positive while they're there, and they will test because they're testing everybody, you become a COVID-19 hospitalization. 
And we know from data that is available, like Arizona, for instance, Arizona has a figure they keep track of when you go to the emergency room. They call it COVID-like illness, CLI. This is also tracked through the NSSP program on the CDC website. This is basically showing how many people are there that are showing COVID-like symptoms, okay? You become a COVID-like symptom person if you match so many symptoms. Usually two, two minor or one major, I think, is the standard, but that may differ slightly based on the program and the reporting state. But Arizona tracks this, and less than 50% that have been hospitalized have shown symptoms through their CLI tracking, which means that over 50% of the people that are hospitalized with COVID-19 are not there for COVID-19. So we're seeing this kind of a spike. The good news, though, the hospitalization numbers appear to be coming down in Arizona and Texas. And I've been trying to track my own extrapolated estimated hospitalization figure nationally based on the state census every day. And this is tracked by the COVID tracking project. There are about 35 states currently that track cumulative hospitalizations. From my best estimate, they came down about 2,000 total around the country last week from 28 to 26,000 total admissions. And right now through a couple days this week, they look to be coming down another three, possibly five, or maybe even six or 7,000. So we, we could be in the 23 to 20,000 range this week. So hospitalizations are coming down despite so many of them being counted as with COVID, despite the fact that they are not all for COVID. Anyhow, this is all good news. This is to say this short-lived spike looks like it might be just that I believe this is a seasonality issue. This runs concurrent with all the things that are going in Mexico right now. A lot of cross-border cases contributing to the spread in border counties and southern portions of California, Arizona, Texas, and even Florida. And I know Florida is not a border to Mexico, but the same thing is happening with Cuba and some of the Central American countries. There are dual citizens and green card holders coming back to Florida, just like some of those other states, to get treatment in the United States, to get medical care in the U.S. This is happening, and I'm not saying that this is the whole part of it. There are some legitimate angles here, like community spread, that certainly is real. Okay, There are more people getting it down there. These are places that, remember, were not hit very hard in April or May. So it's kind of been just tracking along very slowly, and then we had an outbreak. It might be a seasonal thing. But it doesn't appear to be a, a very long-lived outbreak. And I think this means that we will see a plateau. There was a small spike the last two weeks in deaths, and I don't think it'll last very long. I would estimate another two or three weeks, and then that plateau will go back down. And maybe we can get back to normal and get back with our lives for the rest of the fall. But we will see. Anyhow, that is going to do it for today. Thank you for listening here on this maiden voyage of the Beyond the Fold podcast. Of course, we'll mostly focus on COVID-19. But we'll look how the headlines interact and how the media does not tell you the whole story. That will be the premise of the po podcast. We are eventually going to be on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of those platforms. We should be up by the second or third episode, if not sooner. But we will definitely be publishing on SoundCloud, and then eventually we'll have distribution on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. So I am Kyle Lamb. This is the Beyond the Fold podcast. Thanks for giving me a listen. 
I'll be back at you very soon, at least once a week, maybe two or three times. But look for me generally on Mondays is when I will attempt to release my weekly show. Thanks for giving me a listen, everybody. Hope you'll be back next week. <laughs>